You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1981 Undisputed Classic, The Evil Dead. Dead by Dawn. Dead by Dawn, indeed, but only in the second one. You're not dead by Dawn by this one, even though you're dead by a little bit after Dawn. Yes, I really, I really want to watch the second one again, which is silly because I've watched it not that long ago when Thomas covered it on their show. Yeah. Um, how have you not seen this, dude? How have you not seen this? So um, I just want to watch it back to back. So I guess we're not recording today. See you later, Wes. I'm going to go watch Evil Dead 2. Thanks. She's literally just getting up and leaving. Bye, I guess. Leaving my own house? Yeah. <laughs> I live here now? Question mark? Yeah. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Careful of the basement. Oh, my God. And I'll... my Necronomicon. I was always wondering why you had that heavy chain over your basement door. Fun story. As we were watching this, I pointed out that my in my father's house, the, the entrance to the crawl space is exactly like this. We don't have a chain around it because we're not like keeping any deadites in the basement today. But we don't have like a chain. But there are like little loops and stuff. And it is like, it does just pull up and there's like a little wooden rickety stairs to a scary little basement. It's not even as nice and robust and cleaned up and livable as this basement. It is a crawl space type basement. Uh, and I had my first nightmare based on that really my very first nightmare i remember i was probably about two and a half or three i was very very young and it scared me so much i still think about it today and it's so crystal clear and it freaked me out as a child not only because of the subject matter of the nightmare but that it stuck with me and it seemed so real and for like apparently for days and days after i was like did that really, really not happen? Was that really a dream? <laughs> and I forced my parents to show me the basement because what I dreamt, I dreamt I was being potty trained, which is very embarrassing, I guess, to a two and a half year old Lydia who was well past potty trained days and I was fully potty trained. So I was dream having this nightmare that I was in the basement at the bottom of the stairs, there was a toilet and my father was saying, you need to use this instead of your potty or something like that. And... I wanted off of the toilet, but he was like, no, no, you have to wait till you're done. And I guess it was just all holdbacks from being potty trained. Mm-hmm. And my mom in my dream jumped down the stairs wearing a jester mask. Oh, my God. And it scared me. And I fell down the toilet and I had a falling dream, which can be the jump scare of nightmare world to even adults. And I woke up thinking I was falling down this endless dark cavern of a toilet in the basement. And I remember looking up and seeing my dad looking all concerned and my mom taking the mask off and looking so very sad. So it kind of goes with that drama mask of like happy sad, the happy jester face beside her sad face. And it was very, very shocking and very real and very scary to me. And then the next time you took too long in the bathroom and your dad said to you, hey, what'd you take so long? You fall in? You just fucking run away screaming, you monsters! Pretty much. I think I was, I couldn't have been three because I, we had just moved into this house at the time. 
And we moved in there when I was about two and a half. It's a very primal memory. I have memories way back, like way back, surreal, I know, because some people's memories don't start till they were between the ages of three or four or 10 or 11. Sometimes people don't have memories of their childhood just for whatever reason, not because it's bad and they're blocking it out. Just They just didn't think to hang on to them, I guess. I have one of my oldest memories. Sorry, we're never going to talk about the Evil Dead. No, one of my oldest memories was me. I must have been still a toddler and I was walking through my kitchen towards someone who I think was a friend of my father's, a work friend. And I distinctly remember being shorter than the countertops in my kitchen and, and, and people looking to me in that same way that you would look at a very, very young child walking, almost miraculous that I'm walking at all. So I might've been just walking because I do kind of remember that steady, unsteady toddler like you're concentrating wobble. on the walking. Yeah, wobble with my arms kind of out. Yeah. And and shit walking to and that's my and that's my oldest memory, I think. Uh anyways, we were just talking about old memories, so that's yeah. why that made me think about that. This film that we're covering today, 1981's The Evil Dead, we're doing the first one, is a very heavily requested I wouldn't say that the first one is heavily requested for our show. However, Evil Dead Anything is something that I come across all the time, whether on Facebook or Twitter or in person, especially. I've even when people found out that we were doing Evil Dead, friends of mine uh, genuinely shocked uh, that we had not already done it. Huh. Um, this is a, this is a unique beast. Not only is this a massive horror film, we're not going to do a commentary track for this episode. Uh, it just didn't work out. We're just going to talk about it. But Evil Dead does occupy that space of a movie so big, so well-known, so popular amongst horror fans th- that, I mean, sure, you'll agree. What do we really have to say about it? Nothing. End of story. I'm going to go watch Evil Dead 2 now. See you later. No, it's it's kind of weird because it has that proximity. Of, we've watched it so many times. We've talked about it all of our lives, probably. Um, it almost has lost the novelty of being the a big, shiny horror movie like some of the bigger franchises. And things that we're reserving for birthdays, I guess it's a birthday. Yeah, this is, this is my birthday yeah. request, technically and, speaking. Uh, commentary tracks. Because it's like having a friend that's a rock star where people are all into them and you're like, meh, that's just Mark. Like, <laughs> it's just, that's just old Mark. Yeah, that's just evil dead. I don't know. We even dropped the the. That's how cozy we are with the film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, evil dead. I call him evil dead. Uh, <laughs> so I wanted to do this film for a myriad of reasons. I wanted to do the first one because of the fact that um, I'm always about doing the originals, the first of anything, because you always got to pay homage to the movies that set the table. But also because, for me, this film was the last of the Evil Dead that I ever saw. Which is hilarious to me. It will never cease being hilarious to me. And I feel sort of badly. Your introduction was with Army of Darkness. But hey, you liked it, so that's good too. Not just liked, Lydia. Loved. My first introduction was Army of Darkness, which is the third film. Uh, I didn't know that at all. It was Bruce Campbell versus the Army of Darkness. Don't ask me 
what what I thought that opening sequence was from. I didn't know that was from Evil Dead 2. I thought it was just part of the movie. There was a part of me that did notice that it was at a different film quality. But when you're a kid, you don't really know these types of things. You can't really put your finger on it. We had it taped. It was on good old durable VHS for us. It was a VHS tape that I watched so often that we ran it down. And to this day, I can watch Army of Darkness and my brain will ready itself for when the VHS tape is going to crap out, when the sound is going to uh, flicker, yeah. when it's going to completely lose picture altogether. There was one moment when I was watching Army of Darkness all the time, it would cut completely to static right as good Ash blows evil Ash in the face with his shotgun. Boom. It will cut out and then it'll come back as evil Ash hits the tree. And then good, bad, I'm the guy with the gun happens with like (laughs) sound effects. And there's another moment where like the deadites come over the hill. My point being was I watched that fucking tape into oblivion. And I still remember to this day all the different parts that fucked up. And it wasn't until I was in high school. Like, I used to watch Army of Darkness with one of my best friends uh, in elementary school fucking constantly. And in, and I would still revisit it when I was in junior high. When I hit high school, I met this cat named Jason Carey, who was a big horror fan. You could tell them, you could always pick out the horror fans because they're the ones drawing, like, knives and dismembered limbs on their fucking margins on their, on their notebook paper and shit. And I was... Or the serial killers. Or the serial killers. I was inevitably talking... You know, he has a very regular family man these days, so I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple of bodies in the shed. Now, I, of course, was one day in class talking about Army of Darkness and talking about how much I loved it. I don't know what prompted it. And he leans over and he says, you know, that's the third in the Evil Dead series, right? I'd never heard of Evil Dead. I'd never seen it before in my life. Mm, that's so I had cute. no idea. This was probably a grade nine, I hope, maybe even grade 10. And so even being a horror fan, never, never, never heard of it. Never heard of it. He lent me his copy of Evil Dead 2. And that movie, upon first watching, his VHS tape was not good. Oh, so it lived in the same world as your Army of Darkness VHS. It fucked up right as he got possessed. Oh. So very, like, very close to the beginning. Yeah. And it would not play anymore. So what ended up happening was, is I bought from Chapters... Evil Dead 2 on VHS, my own copy. Was it the skull cover it with the, the two, what is it, two dead, two evil, two terrifying or whatever? It, it was the skull cover and it just said Evil Dead 2. I don't remember like what, uh, I think it said Dead by Dawn in little oh, uh, okay. white writing on the bottom or something like that. So that was my copy of Evil Dead 2 and I watched that and it wasn't until I saw on that it had uh, trailers on it. And it, one trailer was for the release of Evil Dead 1. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first time I saw a trailer for Evil Dead 1. 
And of course, when I watched Evil Dead 2, I fucking loved it. I fell in love with that movie. And all of a sudden, everything made sense. Don't ask me why Ash had a chainsaw hand in Army of Darkness. <laughs> it never occurred to me. He has a chainsaw hand because... Just because. Just it's, because. Just because. I didn't know. Like, it's fucking buck wild to me that I never questioned anything. Because you were a child. Yeah. You were be- You were a child. I was an, a, definitely a child. It never, it, like, and even into, it just, it's cool he's got a chainsaw hand. I don't know. And then this one, I was like, oh my God, this makes so much fucking sense. Did but, you question as much from Biker Mice from Mars? No, because that was fucking radical. See? The a guy with the chainsaw for a hand is pretty radical. Too. It is pretty radical. Yeah. And and then, of course, inevitably, I got Evil Dead, The Evil Dead on VHS. Also, uh, not from Chapters. I can't remember where I got that. You know, it was probably like HMV or something. Okay, I was going to say like a mom and pop store where they had like a little bin of $2 movies. Yeah, and it was like the blue cover. The yeah. blue cover with like the, the woman getting My started. favorite cover? Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. So that was that, and and I watched that one, and so here we are at the Evil Dead, and what do you say about it when you watch them in reverse order? Well, gee, that what is this? Oh, this gets worse, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't know if it, if, if it got worse to me, but it was like Evil Dead Two and Evil Dead One are the same story. The same story, so it's slightly confusing that way because they just sort of like retcon. Yeah. The whole cabin itself and mm-hmm. what the book is called and all of those things. But the the quality gets worse. The acting gets worse. The uh, the deadites get less fun, I guess. I don't know. A lot less fun. There's no rape in the other ones. That's true. The tree rape was something that I had heard heard tale of, but I had never I'm really seen. glad that you were old enough to watch and appreciate that for the hentai fucked up that it is. Yeah, it, it was true. I was probably, I don't know, how old are you in grade 9 or 10? Like, you're fucking like 14, something like that? So, yeah, 14, 15, I guess? About that. 13, I was, I don't know, young. Yeah, yeah I don't remember. But a but teen. You're, I'm a teenager. Yeah. So that's when I, I saw it, and those became the movies that I watched. Now, I did gravitate, like a lot of people, to Evil Dead 2 the most. I still had a special place in my heart for Evil for Army of Darkness. I mean, that was that was the introduction for me. But I think as I was becoming an older horror fan, what I wanted out of the Evil Dead franchise, I love I still love Army of Darkness to this day. Um, I will say now, after all of these years, one is my favorite. And I would guess it's because I've of all of them, I've seen it the least. So there's still a a novelty there where I'm just like, oh, this feels like, uh, ironically, the first one feels like a fresher experience to me. Oh, I can believe that. I can believe that. And, and you'd say, like, your tastes maybe have matured. So uh, where when you were liking Army of Darkness or first introduced to it, you might have liked beefaroni better yeah. than you liked a steak. Yeah. now your, your tastes have changed, well, changed and, like, like, Army of Darkness will always sort of be the beefaroni of the Evil Dead franchise to me. <laughs> Uh, I'm not a fan, and but I think that that's a problem with having watched them in the forward order, um, more or less. I'd, I'd watched Evil Dead 2 first, but hot on its heels was Evil Dead, the Evil Dead, because um, I was going to rent it, and other horror fan friends of mine said, oh my god, you really need to watch the first one first. You're not going to be missing anything, but you really should watch the first one. And I was like, nah, but this one's right here in front of me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, why wait? What am I going to do? Where am I going to find it? You know, this is back in the day. And they're 
they told me where I could find it because up in the city, because I lived in the countryside with the mom and pop store that had the Evil Dead mm-hmm. 2, um, there was up in the city, they had a Bandito video, mm. had a much better horror selection. I was like, oh, when's the next time I'm going to go up there? Never. So I rented it and watched it, but then hot on its heels, watched the Evil Dead right after. So the Army of Darkness was coming out. Not too, too long after that, I guess. A couple years after. 93, I think. Boy, was I disappointed. Hmm. Oh, then it would have been quite a few years after. But either way, I was very disappointed. That's just me. Army of Darkness, unfortunately, bears the burden of being a a much larger studio production. And in order to uh, reach a wide audience as possible, I mean, it's just not, it's not violent, right? It's not R-rated. And I think when you're doing an Evil Dead film, that is definitely a large component of it. And also... Um, when I was a child, and even now as an adult, but one, one thing that I constantly am reminded of is how much I loved comedy. I really loved it when I was a kid, like really loved it. I mean, and up to uh, listening to comedy albums, l- loving parody songs, and anything that was funny, I just liked to laugh. I still fucking like to laugh. So these, and and I loved uh, I was a Harryhausen kid, so you had all of these skeleton warriors on the scale that I wanted skeleton warriors to be. So basically, doing Three Stooges jokes. Yeah, not that that is absent in the Evil Dead. Like, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, the, the, it, it's no uh, secret that Sam Raimi and, and Bruce Campbell and all of them were huge Stooge fans. The fucking call their the fake shemps. The fake shemps, right? Yeah. Like that was. And, and again, it's still like terms that Sam Raimi uses in his filmmaking today. He's still Spider Man. Yeah, and Spider Man still calls people shemps and shit like that. So, the, to me, um, going back to the, to the first Evil Dead, it's just very fun to watch it now, knowing so much that that we know about the Evil Dead franchise, knowing where it's gone, what what's what's become of it, how massive it became, and how big all of these stars came. Well, I mean, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. I mean, Bruce Campbell's Bruce Campbell, he's horror, uh, horror royalty. And uh, super nice guy. I had an opportunity to meet him not too long ago, last year, about. Nice dude, exactly what you want out of, uh, out of someone that you're like, <gasps> excited to meet and shit like that. And, and I think that even when this movie is at its most serious which i argue the first one is as serious as evil dead would get yeah um until the remake and then but with all original players involved you can tell that it's it's hokey in spots more by accident and the violence gets pushed to a point that's so over the top that it can become comical and 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 I know that is why a lot of horror fans love splatter movies in particular, because it's fucking ridiculous and over the top. People don't bleed like that. Houses don't bleed. A lot of things you have to... People don't bleed like that. That could be a good uh, subtitle for this for this film. <laughs> um, that's my... That's... And it is inadvertent, I think, and it's also just the personalities of the people involved coming out uh, here mm-hmm. and there with any like stoogish kind of stuff going on. Because mm-hmm. for the most part, it's Hitchcockian, it's Chopsaki, it's Westerns, it's dark, and it's gory as fucking shit. Even though, I mean, we have no control over what milk being sprayed out of garden hoses look like. Mm-hmm. It does look kind of comical, but it's comical only because the absurdity of it all and the, and I, I kind of hesitate to say this, like the, the 
amateurishness of it all Mm -hmm. because he was an amateur of course when shooting this film um but holy shit does he belie his own level of filmmaking at this point because he is hitting so many amazing techniques through this you wouldn't you know it almost sounds like a fib that he'd never shot a full-length feature at this point Mm -hmm. nothing but fiddling around basically is what they were doing making films earlier yeah i i I mean uh they made a lot of super eight films and they had done uh, features sort of that they played in colleges and shit like that, that made them some money. They were all comedies. Yeah. And this was their first foray, foray into horror, real horror. Um, a- aside from a-, a test thing that they had, uh, scre- uh, they had pulled together to kind of show to potential investors and shit like that. The movie can kind of look like this. That was that was what they had done before this film was made. But yeah, I just love the idea of just a bunch of friends getting together and just making each other miserable because the shoot of this film, very legendarily, was awful for them, for everyone involved, and some of the actors wouldn't speak to them anymore. Almost as awful as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It yeah. has that same ilk. Oh, uh, yeah. Torture your actors. Yeah, torture actors to get what you want. And there's um, even people going so far as, as certain criticisms of Sam Raimi was that he has a real nasty side to him where he seems to, he almost like this schadenfreude of, of making people miserable and him finding it hilarious. Well, he's a fun guy. He's a fun guy. He likes to do fun things. Yeah. That's why I, I think he's just the best. Just yeah. The best. I really like his, his filming techniques and I like his... Uh, techniques that have carried on through films later on in years up until recently you can still see things from more often the second evil dead film where Mm -hmm. he really spread his wings so to speak you still see some of these angles some of these shots the follow-through shots the weird battering ram bullshit that he likes to do um you see that in films that he's making today you you really really do and it's and it's interesting how obviously his shots you you when i'm watching sam Raimi, when i was talking about this as we were watching the film when you're watching his filmmaking when you're watching the way he shoots things you know yes he must have been influenced by somebody but it's still so i would say it is unmistakably sam Raimi. yeah like he was hatched out of an egg from being um deposited on your front yard by aliens because it seems without influence because it is just so unique. And that's just yeah. a mark of artistry, I believe. Yeah, especially the quick cuts, the the subjective camera angles in particular. And yes, he does do those things. And fuck, it's in Spider-Man. Like they, 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 he keeps doing these film techniques. And when he does, it's fucking great. I remember watching Spider-Man 2 and I was just like, ugh. And then... And then when it gets to the scene where Dr. Octopus's tentacles come to life, and all of a sudden I feel like I'm watching fucking Evil Dead 3. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, I was just like, oh, my God, still got it. He still fucking got it. And, you know, when we did Drag Me to Hell, and you see a film made not that long ago where he's still hooking people on wires and having them just bend their legs and be like little marionettes in the air. Stick some contacts in them, have them screech, and have a couple, like, binaural voices in behind their voice. Cool. Yeah. And he's like, and he's like no, this is how we do it. This, this, is, this is how you do it. But it works. It works, and it 
and it seems strange to say that if it was tried by anyone else, I don't know if I would accept it. I'd just be like, woof. Well, somewhat. Um, when we had watched Condemned, there are some scenes in that that are very uh, Jackson and Raimi. And oh, yeah. it's a bit of an homage here and there, but I wouldn't say they fail miserably at it. But that was a very inspired horror film. Very inspired horror slash comedy slash gore fest. So that is sort of an exception to that. But I know what you mean. Anyone else trying these techniques would be laughable. They yeah. fall on their face. And nowadays when modern filmmakers are doing it, you would just think, oh, well, they're they're copying Evil Dead. That's what they're doing. And be, And you wouldn't be surprised at that because... This film really is, it's it's a strange place. It's a huge horror movie to horror fans. Once you get out of the realm of horror fans, you start losing people who've seen it. And a lot of it has to do with how gory it is and how hokey that the normals might find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I've encountered people, I still encounter people, uh, in my adult life, who've not seen this movie, and I've shown it to them for the first time, and I've shown it to them in order, and a, a lot of comments that I've I've always gotten was once I I need to explain to them, okay, you're gonna watch Evil Dead one, and then we're gonna watch Evil Dead two, and I have to explain the the rights issue and how it's a sequel, but the first part is a remake, and so by the end of the first movie. And to the moment he gets possessed in Evil Dead 2, you can cut out all of that, and then that's what happened. Um, so, so that's what you do. It's like it's a sequel, remake, kind of, sort of, whatever. Um, the number one comment I get is how different, what, the, how different the, the the franchise becomes, and that even carries over into uh, the television show that had, has recently ended. Three seasons of Ash vs. Evil Dead on television, the fucking gang was back. They had kept a lot of the comedy and amped up the gore to like a level in which I've never seen before. That's what I've heard. I haven't watched it, and I should. I just don't have time. No, I understand. You I'm know, a huge fan. Like, don't, with all my mimimling about Army of Darkness and stuff, um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Ash. That's the only reason i've watched and rewatched that film a couple times Mm -hmm. and it's not even a guilty pleasure at this point i really roll my eyes through most of it but i'm an ash fan number one and i Mm -hmm. love ash's trajectory even through the entire thing so i really need to watch ash versus the evil dead to continue that trajectory i need to know everything that happens from smart and beyond because i'm such a big stupid ash fan that me and amy met up with a man with a little husky puppy and I could care less about what the humans are doing, but Amy loves puppies. And when they're attached to a human, she will ask, can I pet your dog? And she saw this cute, very cute little husky puppy and asked the owner if she could pet it and asked the dog's name. And he said, Ash. And I said, like Ash from the Evil Dead? And apparently I came across like this kid with the bright eyes and it, it's my birthday. <laughs> and, you know, then he said, no, Ash, like burnt wood. <laughs> and I was dejected. You're just like, ugh. Disappointments Which, returned. Amy being the horror the horror doctor that she soon will be. The mm. horror fan that she is. Thought that was the most fucking hilarious thing. Because she's like, I like Ash. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the first thing that popped into my head. But, yeah. 
I digress. I'm an Ash fan. Um, it's a very story. easy character to get behind. One thing that's not uh, talked about often, from at least in the circles that I run in, is that the Evil Dead uh, franchise is about a final boy. It is about a final boy, and I even wrote in my notes, a lovely final girl. <laughs> yeah. Ash exhibits a lot of uh, character traits that are unheroic, that are not what you would associate a leading man with. He's not very quick to act. He's very uh, cowardly in some instances. And it's even uh, emphasized when he is put next to Scott, Scott the dick. Scott the psychopath. Scott Scott the psychopathic dick, um, who is also, you know, good-looking, square-jawed guy who's exhibiting... Uh, he's uh, like Scott is a man of action, psychotic action, but a man of action. And you have him juxtaposed next to Ash, who is cowering, who's always stuck under rubble, who is always getting tossed around, slammed around, who can't really bring himself to really hurt anyone. He's a trembling wiener. <laughs> he's a trembling wiener. And I think that there's parts in, in The Evil Dead 2 where the the force outside of the cabin is trying to get at that trembling wiener again mm-hmm. as best as it can. And it's sort of asking him by slamming him through the forest and doing the things that it does to him. Uh, where is this trembling wiener that I tormented in the first one? Because mm-hmm. uh, that trembling wiener, he starts out as a, as a huge trembling wiener. But um, we get to see that trajectory much like a final girl. So he's no different than a final mm-hmm. girl. Especially when he manages to survive. It is barely manages to survive um, until the ending. And if you ask Bruce Campbell, Ash Williams dies at the end of the first Evil Dead film. And that was supposed to be the end of it. But of course, you know, sequels happen and, and we have a different direction to go in. But in this case, he doesn't die because... All of a sudden, he becomes barrel-chested and grabs a gun and takes down all the enemies. He kind of falls ass-backwards into being able to save himself, at least for a short period of time. I think that was one of the most interesting aspects of this movie to me as I was watching it for the very first time as a teen was, oh, oh, because in Army of Darkness and in... Evil Dead 2, it's so much more complicated to do anything. He needs special words or he needs to special incantations. We need pages. We need the Kandorian or Kandarian uh, dagger. We need all this stuff. And this one, just toss that book right in the fire. Mm-hmm, that's all you need. Yeah. It cures what ails you. <laughs> Makes everything melt into a mess of Play-Doh, plasticine, and... Fucking wallpaper paste. Um, I like that this is a self-contained story in that way. I like that Ash dies at the end. It did say that it's going to kill them one by one. So yeah. it does. It, it, the evil dead win in this. And I like that very much. And I like his trajectory, which you can follow through all of the movies too, as he gets more and more snarky and more and more fed up with all of the blood being splattered mm-hmm. in his face. And this one, he doesn't have as much time to get fed up with it. But he certainly cracks and gets fed up with this insanity the same way that Ash, we've come to know and love, does later on in the, in the series. But he starts out as just very emotional, very 
um, understanding of the pain of the humans around him and not wanting to cause him any more pain and then turns into a fucking shovel decapitating lunatic by the end. <laughs> forced into it. Forced into forced it. Forced into it, unlike Scott, who is, I've got a criminal profile workup uh, jotted down for Scott somewhere. I swear I do. Right. On the way to the cabin, initially, you have Scott driving. And this always confused me because I always used to miss the dialogue of the fact that Scott just so happened to be driving the very famous Delta. It was actually, even though the classic, um, it's a a thing that most fans know that Sam Raimi uses in everything that he does. He fucking puts that stupid car in everything. And I used to always think, well, when did this car become ashes? Because by the time they're in the series, it's like, no, this was my car. I'm like, wait. Wasn't Scott driving it? And then you catch the line. He just knows where the cabin is, sort of. There's still Ash is still looking in the map. Yeah. And this, let me ask you this, because this is what I've always wondered about this vacation spot that these guys have chosen. It's a dilapidated cabin in the woods. There's no water. This is different. So you have a cabin in the woods horror film. That's what the Evil Dead really is. And then demons show up. We all know the story. But it lacks it lacks a lot of hallmarks of this subgenre of horror. Oh, you mean that there's no burial ground underneath? No Micmac burial ground? No, and there's no frolicking teens. There's no... There's no sex. There's no sex. Which also helps make uh, Ash a good final girl. Yeah. We could imagine he's a virgin. Maybe, well, maybe this was the, the day he's going to seal the deal. But how do you... Even even the, the, the brief period that we're able to spend with uh, Ash and his good pal Scott, Scott's girlfriend Shelly, Ash's girlfriend Linda, and uh, Ash's sister. Tagalong. Tagalong Cheryl, who's... Is she not wearing a wedding ring? No, I don't think so. She's wearing some kind of ring. Maybe. It, it struck me as a wedding ring, which always makes questions in my mind. And then I just ignore it. Like, where is all the energy coming from since there's no hydro lines to this cabin? But whatever. There's things I just let go. There's 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 an aspect of the Cheryl character that I, that I really dial into, and I always did. And one thing that I will say for the Ash vs. Evil Dead series is they retroactively really add a lot of backstory to that character in my favorite way possible set dressing because um eventually in the series we return to cheryl's bedroom and it's been untouched since she died oh lovely okay no more no more yeah I need to watch it someday yeah what i need to do is have a debilitating illness so i can watch this you really do like let's pray for something uh, like major but not fatal <laughs> thank you thank you for that <laughs> unless mindhunter comes out then we'll all be shit out of luck because i'll watch that <laughs> there's that now uh, and and so now, really, especially watching this uh, film, you're like, oh, that's that's it's so interesting that I feel I feel so bad for her in a way now, and you feel bad for for Ash because these breaking points, this guy's life is just awful from this point on, and but yeah, Cheryl is a really weird addition because she's not with anybody. She just seems to be. I almost would think that. You have to take your sister. Take your sister. You have to take your sister. Well, I kind of like in in that there aren't any expo dumps. There aren't any info dumps. There aren't any uh, explanations for these things. She's just there. She's just there. Accept it. In what would ultimately be a very boring little trip. I guess like the idea is like, oh, we're just going to hang out. You don't see... 
I mean, it looks like they're all just drinking water out of cups. Like, you don't see any drinking. There's no drugs. There's no partying. There's no music. You don't need those things. I know you don't need those things to have a good time. I do. But I think, but I, I, I just. You're looking say, at this group of young upstarts. They're wearing football jerseys and stuff. They got yeah. Michigan State sweaters. Like they must. I mean, must be partiers. So many moccasins. Come on. Oh, mo- moccasins and hush puppies. Oh my god. Yeah, their footwear screams party. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Very quiet, comfortable party. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying they're all just sort of out in the woods. No one hits on anyone. No one sparks up a joint. It doesn't have all of these horror tropes. Maybe Sam Raimi, like some horror fans, watched those things when he was studying horror and decided that that was too tongue-in-cheek, too derivative, and ultimately um, typecast everybody. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately typecast them as people that they hated because also remember that these were not the most popular kids in school Mm -hmm. and also it's important to note that even though this film came out in 1981 the film that we most associate with uh all those tropes i was mentioning is friday the 13th yeah and that movie was 1980 this film had already been shot it was in the process of being shot or and already in, in in a lot of cases so Sam and and them wrote that script and filmed all primary shooting before these tropes became the tropes that they are. Yeah. So it really occupies a, a space all to its own, and 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 I think that's why they're missing. I mean, they might even be fucking vegetarians. It seems like all they're eating is salad and drinking water. So I don't know, but they seem like good kids. But that's all going to go to hell because. They're going to go down into the cellar because they hear a noise. Now, there's a lot of weird shit going on to let you know that evil is still present, but it just needs one more kick in the ass to really get going. We've known it as a viewer since the beginning because there was something stalking them through the woods. We have a killer point of view with nothing attached to it, Mm -hmm. which is a a very fun technique um, that at the time was singular to this film that I know of. um, uh, Me as well. This is one of those uh, uh, Sam Raimi film techniques that I just I just listen there was films like Peeping Tom and all this kind of shit but I think it's almost a a case of uh, necessity being the mother of all inventions it's just cheaper Uh, we don't know what this force is and frankly we never do it this this disembodied force that people react to there's something there but we never know what it is. It seems to be this nebulous concept of evil that is stalking this forest. And yes, sometimes it'll take the 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 form of a tree or a former friend. Or things that we can't see because we are often in that point of view where viewers are being chased or being terrorized by something they can they acting like they see. I want to say that they can obviously see, but that's not even true because I don't know that. They're acting like they can see whatever yeah. it is. That is after them. Sometimes you are so used to it being a nebulous force of evil, you're almost convinced they're not seeing anything Mm -hmm. except for maybe a weird warbling of the light that Mm -hmm. is coming after them. Or they can hear it. Or they can feel it. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Or it is like a huge manitou coming at them through the forest. (laughs) Who knows? It's something primal and deeply, deeply evil. And or could be a swirling black vortex of hatred. 
Yeah, yeah. Or like a fucking little red devil with pitchfork. A red devil with a little pitchfork (laughs) and little diapers on? Little diapers, clippy clops. Yeah. You know, cloven hooves and shit. (laughs) Something like that. That'd freak me out. Yeah, I know. You see like the guy coming out of off like the deviled ham can. It's like that. Now, everyone else is occupied by love. Well, sort of. This version of love, which means that they're just spending quality time with one giving, another. Giving people ugly trinkets and changing while not looking at each other and shit like that. Very respectful. I like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, listen, yes, we're changing in the same room with each other, but I'm not going to look at your breasts. Seen them. Maybe they've been together for a long time. You although I have seen couples that are act like they're newlywed teenagers yeah. later on in life. So that doesn't matter either but scott also is a psychopath so maybe he's like i'm getting ready for bed i don't care what you're doing yeah are you still here (laughs) yeah exactly now when the the basement seems to be the epicenter of something dark something sinister something's down there maybe we don't know but i can tell you scott's gonna get cheryl to look cheryl is always the most agitated out of all of them. Maybe because she's the only one that's not distracted by something. She's very interested, quiet, artsy chick. She just wants to sketch, sketching clocks that are automatically stopping. Which is a, one of the freaky things. They sort of get unnerved by the fact that the swinging chair outside in the porch is, there's no breeze, but it's swinging in the breeze, but then it stops swinging in the breeze and it kind of spooks them a little bit. She has a bout of automatic writing right after this clock stops ticking. She doesn't think to mention it to anyone. Yeah. She's a little unnerved by it. Anything that they see, they're all a little unnerved. Until later, they're sitting around hanging out, I guess. They're not like playing card games or smoking spliffs or whatever it is that you're supposed to do in a horror film. Yeah. Uh, they're drinking water out of cups. They're drinking water out of cups and eating salad. And... and all of a sudden, that basement door flies open with a bang. Mm-hmm. So in the basement, Scott does eventually go down to investigate. And they're all calling after him. There's no answer. You think he's dicking around with them like evil Ed as opposed to the evil dead. (laughs) And so then Ash follows him down to look for him now Mm -hmm. into the vast underbelly of the basement. Oh, my God. This basement is really, really cool. It's very creepy in the way that uh, I think creepy basements should be creepy. Mm -hmm. Uh, It really reminds me of the basement of my parents' house in Carlton Place. Uh, The the house there, 120, 135 years old or whatever the hell. And so when you went down into the basement, uh, there was a a door and you opened it. It was just this super narrow, like almost – wider than uh not not almost uh just as wide as my shoulder so it was really hard for me to like get down that stair and you had to go down the stairs in the same way that ash does just very gingerly like that almost frog walk type uh, legs bending and it was an unfinished floor so it was a dirt floor and just like that cobblestone walls Same and sort of thing my yeah. grandmother's basement in the old farmhouse was like that too yeah and i couldn't stand up straight in it i was too tall so i had to just be like hunched over so that's where this was different this has gourds hanging off of everything yeah you had asked about the gourds yeah. they're probably just hanging to dry people would pick gourds and they're not gourds aren't edible and they're very very bitter 
Uh, and that's helpful because bugs won't eat them. Slugs usually don't eat them. Deer usually don't eat them because they don't taste good. But they grow very thick, um, like a pumpkin would, but pumpkins are much softer than gourds. So you can pick a gourd and let it dry out. If you dry it properly, slowly, and outside of sunlight, that's the biggest one, is to keep it out of the sun. And as long as they don't mold or stay moist, they will harden into like almost as hard as stone. They're a little more fragile than earthenware, but they do make a very sturdy bowl or dipping ladle, or you can make like kitchen utensils out of gourds. And that's what they're probably doing down there. Who do you think was the <laughs> the original owners of the cabin? Like, Yeah. Because I highly doubt that the archaeologist and his wife that had come there were that busying themselves to be picking gourds and drying them in the basement. They were just there for a little getaway for a season, I think, or if not a couple weeks. Just away from the, the distractions of academia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can I can smell your cigar and feel your tweed vest from here. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, it's like you know how I'm dressed. I am in front of you. Hang on a sec. You have a brown turtleneck on, don't you? Oh, my God. It's actually growing as I'm speaking. <laughs> the more academic I feel. It's, like, it's very painful, actually. <laughs> um, the fucking patches growing on my elbows and shit. Naga hide patches. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, are these corduroys? Um, now... We're going to get a bit of an info dump when we are, are we discover a strange dagger. It's got a skull on it. Looks like you might buy it at a kiosk in a mall. And or like Ash's ex-girlfriend, according to Scott. Cool, looks like your ex-girlfriend. That's such like a lame... What a dick thing to say. It's he just is, so... he's, a, he's a psycho fucking dick, and he's a goddamn football player, I bet. Oh, yeah. I'm just guessing. You know what? He probably is a, a guy that tried out for football and then quit. He he had it just long enough to get, like, the jacket, probably, and he just wears it around, but he's not actually on the football team. Or that sweater for Shelly. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they find a little tape... Uh, what do you call it's those like a things? Like reel of the reel. Yeah, reel of the reel. Durable analog, like God intended. I'd found one of those um, at a flea market once, and I, I bought it for, like, $2, and it still worked, and it had a tape with it, and I set it aside for the longest time, and I'm like, eventually questioned myself, like, why did I even fucking buy this? Why did I fucking buy this? Oh, I know why I bought this. The Evil Dead and Pulp Fiction. That's why I fucking bought it. <laughs> so then I promptly threw it out. Oh, my God. I definitely would have taken that. I would for what? Have, uh, the novelty. Okay. The dust collecting. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, so movies made me buy $2 reel to reel for what reason? I don't ever will know. Did you ever play with the tape? Was it blank or? Um, it, it had been oxidized. Oh, okay. So it wasn't very clear, but it seemed to be outtakes of people um, doing, like working on commercials or something. They were doing, um, reading little scripts for dumb jingles and commercials and stuff. And there's just a whole bunch of them. Then you, then you like starts being spoken in like ancient Aramaic, and then all of a that's sudden. What I was hoping for, but no, yeah, that's what I mean, anyone that would have be. been worth two bucks. I would have hung on to it. That's what anyone's hoping for. Yeah, it? it was just a garbly old tape. But I think what it was is someone's practice real for sitting at home and practicing lines. I guess. Well, this professor is not just practicing lines. He is reading from the fucking book, the Necronomicon. Which has a different name in this entirely. That it does. I didn't write down and it's hardly pronounceable, like most of what's written in the Necronomicon. 
True. One thing is is uh, for certain, it is still bound in human flesh and inked in human blood. And like you had said, unlike the other books that also came from the Kandarian runes and our Sumerian books of the dead, uh, it looks like a fucking book of the dead. It is probably bound in human flesh, where the other ones are awfully cartoony looking. They're very cartoony looking. I, I definitely uh, agree that the newer books, when you see them, are far more iconic. When you look at those books, you say to yourself, oh, yeah, absolutely. It's the Necronomicon. This, though, actually does look like books that you can see uh, in museums and photos online that have been found that have been uh, bound in human flesh. Uh, very With the authentic. noted exception of the nose. Yeah. Yeah. I still have not seen a book in actual possession of any human on earth that has a nose on it. <laughs> I would love it though, if there's such a thing. Yeah, they're just like, listen, we want we want everyone to know that this book has a nose. Mm-hmm. Not only is this human flesh, it was a human face. Take that. But it does look ancient. It does look like it's made of flesh. And they it also s- kind of looks like those uh, horror fan doodles that you were talking about in high school where they draw like knives and decapitated <laughs> yeah. people. It looks like this book belonged to some high school student in the ninth century. You like flip it over and it's just got the 19th uh, equivalent of like corn stickers on the back of it. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like different philosophers. Ye like old the metal philosophers. Ye old corn. <laughs> I'm picturing like Aesop's fables written in like black metal font. That'd be fucking awesome. Hardcore <laughs> to that punk fucking shit, man. Yeah. It looks like a fucking cannibal corpse album cover. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nope. Uh Ash and Scott are super into this fucking thing. They want to hear all about it. But of course, anytime that anything, even recording, is reading the words, it's enough to rouse the deadites. They don't see this, but we do, because we get to see things coming out of the ground. We don't know what they are. We just see the ground heaving and lights and mist and all that fun stuff. But uh, I don't know. Maybe it's women's intuition. It freaks the girls out. Oh my god, no, is a freak out. Cheryl is the one that's the most freaked out, and Scott is kind of playing it in the same way that you would tell a scary ghost story, although they're just listening to this tape. And it gets her so upset that um, she storms out of the room just as a tree branch breaks the glass. Things don't seem as fun as they were a couple of minutes ago. This this whole weird trip out into the woods... Uh, doesn't seem like it can get any worse. Like No one's having a good time anymore. No. It's certainly least... not Ash because now he has to clean up all this glass. He does. He has a very Flanders reaction to it. <laughs> Diddly. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Scott does it. He Scott is like leaning pretty heavily on it. It's just a joke. Meanwhile, uh, Linda and Shelley... Like, Shelly doesn't really have a whole lot to do except to be very reactionary to what everyone else is doing in the scene. Linda is Ash's girlfriend, and uh, obviously fans of the Evil Dead franchise know that there have been many Lindas, all of whom uh, pretty much play the same kind of role, is uh, to uh, 
inspire Ash to not be possessed by demons and shit, I guess. Or to get possessed. Or to get possessed by demons and shit. Now, Ash, uh, Cheryl will eventually leave the cabin. Yeah, it's bedtime. They're all bedding down. Um, Ash and his girlfriend have this like cute little moment where he gives her a wonderful pendant. It's beautiful, she says. And I think it looks like it came out of a Cracker Jack box. It's fucking horrendous. In uh, in If Chins Could Kill, uh, Bruce Campbell talks about how hideous he thought that pendant was and how Sam Raimi was so fucking proud of it. I was dying for a line like, you know, I, I'm a big stamp collector. This is why this is important or interesting to me. Or... You know, I don't know. I'm a photographer. I use this for looking at negatives, like a loop. And like, who else gets a loop? Nobody. Whatever. Yeah, cause, like, like the thing is, is that I would never even register that as a pendant that would ever fucking exist. Oh yeah, they exist, but they exist for actual usable reasons. Jewelers, photographers, people like that. Maybe he needs. She needs it to see his microscopic dick. Oh, <laughs> shots fired. Not at Bruce Campbell. Just the Ash. At Ash. Yeah. At Ash. At Ash. Ash himself has a small penis, not yes. Bruce Campbell. Um, you might be right. You might be right. This is why he needs a boomstick. Oh, compensation. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Now, Ash Cheryl goes off into the woods. We have the very famous tree rape scene. Very famous. And every time I watch it, I'm more and more impressed by its hentai fucked upness, as I quoted earlier. But like... Um, it is long and brutal. And I think the first time I watched it, I was sort of only half believing what I was seeing uh, committed to film. But now I'm just so very used to it that it's I can study the scene. But the very first time, it was shocking and interesting to me. But also, it seemed to be over very, very fast the first time I watched it. But it does go on for, what, at least three minutes? At least. Uh, and it's not one of those... So in in horror and horror adjacent films, you very oftentimes will hear scenes, hear about notorious scenes in these films. Scenes from Last House come to mind. Bad Lieutenant. Deliverance. Um, very rarely do I feel as though scenes like that live up to how much they've been hyped sometimes you know like like in the case of deliverance i'm like what's really even eh, this is not as graphic or as brutal as i thought it'd be it's a brutal concept but what i'm saying is is they don't show as much as you'd think or the scenes don't go on as long as you'd think they would for how much people Talk about it. They talk about it as if they've done nothing and seen nothing ever all their lives and did nothing but read like Sports Illustrated magazine, only none of the ads or the swimsuit editions, and Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys books, and then they were subject to deliverance, and it shocked them. Exactly. And so when someone tells you that there is a tree rape scene in the first Evil Dead film, there's a part of me that is incredulous there's a part of me that then says, okay, I have no reason to doubt what people are telling me or what my friend Jason Carey would be telling me. So yes, I, I, I will agree that yes, this probably is in the movie, but it's probably 
heavily implied, or it's probably not very graphic. I bet you they don't show anything. There is no if, ands, or buts what fucking happens to Cheryl. It is pretty damn graphic. It's very graphic. And I really, I do enjoy the, well, enjoy is maybe the wrong word, um, the sounds that she's making, which help solidify that there is a a deviant and wrong sexual thing happening here and what the branches are doing before the impalement branch, mm-hmm. which is so much more of a uh, impalement than penetration. Yeah. Uh, Cause there's nothing gentle about that scene whatsoever, but there is some gentleness in, and some seduction in what the vines are doing leading up to it. Mm-hmm. And she is making very confused sounds, mm-hmm. which are terror and fear and pain and, an uncomfortable comfort with this familiar feeling of a man's caress or a lover's caress to not be, um, to not sex this, right? Heteronormative. But, yeah. Uh, just in case, we don't know. Maybe that's why she's up there to grapple with her fucking identity. Um, but it is a very confusing scene in that the sounds she's making can go in between uh, fear and pleasure, pain and pleasure. They really, really nail that very well, which mm-hmm. is crazy to me for a first-time filmmaker to be hitting this. But So it's fascinating. I love the scene very, very much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At, when Cheryl finally manages to break these branches um, and and get back to the house, there's this harrowing chase scene that I, I find really interesting. And again... Nothing is chasing her. You see trees fall over. There is a sense of dread. We know that the trees are coming to life. So, so it could just be nothing behind her, which is what I assume. And she would be seeing what we're seeing, trees falling. And that's enough to scare her, whether she sees something or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do insist that the trees are alive. Mm-hmm. So it's not a thing other than the trees. But I, I love the scene, too, because it rivals so many other woodland chase scenes as far as slasher films go. Mm-hmm. But I never really noticed the jungle intrigue bongo fucking <laughs> background music that is just ridiculous now. But when you're caught up in it, you don't notice this thing, which is, to me, a gaffe because it's just the wrong, so wrong music for this if you notice it. So if, you're ever, if you've never noticed it, because there are things in this film that after watching it time and time again... You just notice. I'd never notice a guy at the end of the road. That yeah, there's this one random dude at the bridge, and I've I've all ever since I first watched this film to today, I wonder about that guy. Not the two people on the road that are waving as Scott's driving by and he's like, I'm not waving to them. Are you? It's this fucking guy right before the car gets stuck on the bridge. He's just standing there, and I'm thinking to myself, who is this person? I've never noticed him ever. Yeah. I've never noticed him. But yeah. I also never noticed the bongo fucking, oh my God, it's the most ridiculous music ever. It is Pink Panther music. I never, it really is. I never noticed the projected moon until last year when I was watching this with a friend and he was watching it for the first time and he was like, what's the moon? Jesus. Very authentic looking. And I was like, oh, my God, now I can't ever look at the moon Which without... Which is awesome to me, because that's, from the get-go, I was like, I love this movie because of this ridiculous moon. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many little things. You had told me the the pendant skull shape at the end. 
We had to we had to rewind it. Yeah, I never noticed that before. The chain is spilled out on the ground in in the shape of a skull. Yeah, so things, but yeah, things you upon a zillion watches, you still have things to notice. The gift that keeps on giving. Truly is. When Cheryl gets back to the house, or the cabin, excuse me. She wants to go. The sensible thing is to let fucking go. I want to leave right now. Ash is a good guy. He wants her to listen to what she's saying. Everyone's pretty taken aback by this. Trees don't attack people. There's nothing out there but the woods and and that weird guy on the bridge. They're not as isolated as they fucking think they are. <laughs> and the bridge isn't super far away either, so it could all be him. It could all be him. It could all be him just playing fucking mind games with them. I'm a demon. But um, Ash agrees. We agree with her, too, because we've seen what she's been through. She's been spooked and terrorized beforehand, and then this happened. And we know what happened out there. She doesn't need to articulate it. We saw it. Exactly. And... Ash agrees. There is something very interesting. We were talking about this again as we were watching. And and every time that we're talking about like the woods and the cabins, you grew up uh, in a rural area where that was just your home mm-hmm. and, and farmhouses and stuff like that. I grew up uh, with having my cottage. And so going to the woods and going to a cabin is very much so these environments are very much part of our childhoods. I think maybe that's why we respond so well to these types of horror. Um, and why it's still scary to me to be in the woods. Uh, not for you. That's, uh, you know, you become more powerful, I feel. <laughs> but just the idea, I, this scene, and again, the, the, the power of horror is how it can be so commercialized yet feel so deeply personal at the same time. Because this idea of leaving in the middle of the night in pitch blackness because someone a crisis has happened and you don't even really really believe that the person it warrants driving them back to town because you don't know and i know that town is probably 45 minutes oh it could be two hours away and um it's, it could be treacherous if it was raining he would have flat out said no because it's too dangerous it's too dangerous yeah. to drive home There's which is no something that city people don't really ever have that problem it might be raining yeah. out and it's a pain in the ass and didn't bring your umbrella but yeah. when it the road may be impassable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this idea the suggestion of waiting until morning until they leave makes perfect sense to me mm-hmm. because you know i remember one time taken real sick real fucking sick at the cottage and i, I it was one of the worst colds I've ever had where I was just a fucking wreck and I couldn't sleep and nothing was good. My parents had, had do you want to go home? Do you want, and it was, it just seems like you're so fucking far away from everything. And then you're just like, no, wait till morning. Let's just wait till morning. Like I wasn't so young that I couldn't make my own decisions. I kept telling my parents that I was okay, that I could stay. Um, you know, I'd burned my hand one time really bad at the cottage and, and it's kind of like, do we go to the hospital? The hospital's pretty fucking far. Do I? Do you need to go? You know what I mean? Or can we yeah. handle it here? So there's all these other things. This flood of of shit goes into my brain as I'm watching this movie, and uh, and it just really makes me nostalgic and remind me of of like you know my kiddiehood and shit like that. Um, without being involved, it's like I'm retroactively applying things to this movie. And the thing that strikes me is that I'm pretty sure that she's fully aware that how far town is that she drove out there, and that she knows how treacherous it could be. That the bridge, 
might not be safe because they had had a tire go through it on the way mm-hmm. in. Um, she's fully aware of all of that and yeah. wants to leave still. So Absolutely. This is how badly she wants to leave. Another really iconic shot of this film is when they get to that fucking bridge. I love it. And it looks so much to me like it's a monstrous demonic hand. Oh, yeah. And she is perched in the palm of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This bridge is out of commission. Out of commission. In 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 such an unnatural and cool way. They duplicate this shot again um, in the sequel in, in Evil Dead 2. And it looks pretty much the same. Pretty much the same. It is the it is it, like the bridge is broken in such a way that it looks like it has literally been fucking warped into a clock. In the second one, we get to see the other side too, and they just kind of match. But this one, uh, yeah, it looks like if if you if something had happened to this, I'd have to say that a volcano, a microburst of a volcano mm-hmm. or a geyser, more accurately, yeah. erupted under the bridge, blew it backwards on itself, so it was blown apart. Like I don't know what. Like, if you put um, a hand grenade in a microwave, mm-hmm. shut the door and let it blow, maybe that's what sort of twisted wreck you would get after. Yeah, because it's not like everything from the fucking metal, like the steel support beams have been warped and bent backwards. And some of the girders are broken in four or five places on their way being bent backwards. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's it's they're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. And so back to the cabin, it is... And I guess there's really nothing left to do but chill out and wait till morning. I don't know what they think they're going to do after that point. Scott mentions that, well, we'll take the bridge and everything like that. But we already know, and even Ash and uh, Cheryl know, that unless that bridge is going to miraculously repair itself, which we don't know, but unless that's going to happen, Mm -hmm. uh, you're not driving out of here ever. There's no road. And... I guess everything's fine. You know, the girls are going to play a little card game, Linda and Cheryl. And I love that, uh, 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 Shelly. And, uh, and, and I love how Shelly is just straight up lying to her. Make her feel pretty good about herself. It's a fun game. That's what Parlor Tricks and ESP is all about, is lying. Um, and I felt particularly ripped off about that because my mother was a, a, a big believer in extrasensory perception. And that sort of scene would have irked her as well. Um, the lying. You know, you're supposed to show the person the card. You got you got to get over, I think it's over 60% is actually pretty good as far as a psychic ability, quote unquote. Uh, 80% is nearly unheard of. So the accuracy rate of Cheryl is astounding. Yeah. Yeah. Cheryl just keeps nailing them. And nailing them, and nailing them. She Four gets... of hearts, jack of diamonds, queen of diamonds. Yeah. Oh, shit. She's been possessed by a deadite. What's happened to her eyes? <laughs> I know that's not until later, but it's my favorite. This is my one of my favorite scenes, too, when her screaming out the correct identification of the cards as they're being flipped. It's very good, and she has a warning that they will be picked off one by one, and then she faints. This begins... Something very uh, important in horror lore, um, not just a trope for the Evil Dead series about people becoming possessed by deadites, becoming deadites, and then pretending they're fainted and then someone reaching over and then they come back to life. Um, the deadites themselves are so unique to Evil Dead. 
We've seen people get possessed by demons before, but not exactly like this. The only thing that I've seen before in other deadites is that when people become possessed by something, there is a moment in which you think that they have regained some semblance of themselves and they're able to speak out through it. But in the terms of, of the deadites, they're always playing you. They're always jerking you around. They're very whimsical. They're cartoonish. They're fun. They're class clowns. They're fucking class clowns. Yeah. They are cut-ups in a very literal sense. They literally are. Now, for the most part, if you become possessed by a deadite, that's pretty much it. Yeah. The only way to fix that, at least in terms of this first film, is dismemberment. And we'll learn that from the rest of this tape. The Deadites seem to also possess all knowledge of the person that they're hosting or that's hosting them. So these demons gaslight you. They fucking like try to really insult you on every level that they could possibly think of. And all to just kill you, just to fuck with you. They're very interesting. Yeah, they are. High energy. And I think as a kid, what drew me the most to this franchise was a combination of the violence, for sure, but also just the cartoonish fucking nature of the Deadites themselves. And they're ten times more cartoonish as you go on. In this one, they're surprisingly cartoonish because this is the dark entry into the franchise. This is the, the mothership, and this is the, like, serious one. Mm. And it's not. Really, the the deadites are hilarious. They're ridiculous. The laughing bender that Linda goes on later is ludicrous. I love it. It's hilarious and it's creepy as shit, but it's childish and ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of childish, ridiculous things that she does. A lot of the attacks that Ash doles out, I mean, thumbs in the eyes. Seriously? (laughs) Seriously? But, I mean, it is comedic by accident Mm -hmm. for the most part. The only times where it gets really openly comedic to me where I get a sense that it's really not their fault and listen is fucking the 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 screens and the 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 delivery systems in which we watch these things improve. You start seeing more of the seams and, and shit like that than than on an old VHS tape, like the way that it was meant to be seen, I suppose. Um you know, in certain shots, the makeup just, it's like fallen off and you can see skin underneath it. And then they'll cut to clearly dummies. And the, and, and I mean, like, they are mannequins, almost like fucking pillowcases with eyes on them attached to a broomstick. Not quite that bad. Jeez, no. That's about the most cruel thing I've ever heard you say on the show. <laughs> It's just very obviously. It is obvious. It is just very, very obvious. And I love it. I love this movie. I don't want anyone to think that I'm shit kicking the oh, evil yeah, dead. I know you're not. Um, it is just, I think that's where a lot of people would just have to laugh. Yes. And, 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 uh, but it just becomes part of the experience. I don't mind when you're let in on the filmmaking process. How do they do that? Well, this is how they did it probably. And, yeah, they have people sitting underneath the floorboards, and yeah, they have a, a moon on a projected screen uh, for some atmosphere, and yeah, you can almost literally see the the pipe, the nozzles of the fog machine as they pump that shit 
and and like uh, the fog guys so much fog like like fucking universal monsters didn't have that much fog in them all of these tricks to make these film the, uh, the this film contribute to this whole that is both ridiculous and profoundly awesome at the same time. It is. And I think the comedy also creeps out in just the deadites nature themselves, which isn't funny, but it is, but it's not like mm-hmm. when Cheryl's under the, cause they throw her into the basement when she becomes possessed and yeah. a chain across so that she can't get at them. Cause she is a fucking possessed demonic creature at this point, quite obviously. And she, like you said, there's no going back from being possessed. So when they pretend to be the person that they used to be to get at you, that's exactly what this deadite does. And it's saying in the very clear sister's voice, uh, let me out of here, Ash. It's your sister. Let me out. I'm okay now. And seconds later, it's a fucking full makeup, possessed, yellow-eyed deadite screaming, I'm your sister, Ash. Let me out, Ash. I'm okay now. And mm-hmm. it's funny. But it's also very creepy because you can see what is going on in Ash's psyche and his emotions being torn back and forth. Mm-hmm. Where, again, a really good performance from Bruce. Right. And uh, I can tell you who doesn't have any fucking if ands, or buts when it comes to uh, getting tricked by these deadites. I think that's why they just attack him straight up because yeah. they don't. None of their gaslighting is going to fucking work on old Scotty. No, because he's a fucking psychopath. Because of some of the lines that he throws out later, he is just a very self-absorbed individual and cares not for consequences, may be able to map out four consequences ahead like a chess game that life is that he's winning. Scott, the winner. Wow. When push comes to shove, he wants to grab a weapon, but who has a weapon? Ash. So we have our man of action, as you would say, Scott, going toe to toe with a deadite. But we have that wonderful, what I call him, trembling wiener, um, yeah. Ash, right behind this very powerful man, Scott, who doesn't fucking wait around to dole out the punches. But Ash is the one with the axe, and it's kind of sad and hilarious at the same time because he's just too afraid to make a movie. He's fucking terrified. And. It's it's doubly tough because these are people that he cares about. Now, the Deadites themselves, aside from being just off-the-wall insane, virtually unrecognizable from the, the people that they possess, they also uh, have beyond superhuman strength. They can manhandle, you know, Cheryl is a petite woman. She can grab Scott or Ash by the face with one hand and throw them across the room. Um, a backhand sends you flying across the room. Yeah, yeah. they're superhuman strong. Yeah, and uh, very quick and durable. Absolutely nigh unkillable. Yeah, I know. Shelly gets quite a few hits from Scott right in the face mm-hmm. over and over and over, and she just keeps coming. Shelly falls into the fucking fire. <laughs> And has one of my uh, uh, favorite lines when Scott pulls her out of the fire. And he's like, oh, thank you. I was really worried that the fire would burn my pretty flesh. Mm, Not my favorite line. And she was like, I'll take yours. You have pretty flesh, too. Yeah. Um, I like this idea of, of people flaying other people. 
Ah, okay. I thought that you were just getting off on the comedy there. No. But it's the skinning. It's okay. the skinning. She okay. wants to skin him because her skin's ruined, so she wants his. That's the line I like. Yeah, it's pretty um, good. It's pretty good. So, but don't you uh, worry, because uh, Scott's going to keep his skin for a time because he is going to grab that axe because Scott is a man of action. And Ash has been holding it and clutching it and thinking and trembling. And he goes through this a couple times where he almost strikes, but then you can tell he's thinking like, oh, it's my friend, oh, it's my sister, ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, not Scott. Uh, chop Shelly up. Holy fuck does he chop her up. And they don't. They don't uh, shy away from it. That's the first really gory scene. There's blood everywhere, blood flying up in the wall. There's milk flying because it's milk, but like white froth. I don't mm-hmm. know what it's supposed to be, pus or whatever. Pus or something because one thing that does occur that we, that we skipped over, the Kandorian dagger. This weapon becomes incredibly significant as the uh, series progresses, particularly when you get to the TV show. This dagger seems to be a thing that can kill the Deadites. In this movie, it certainly damages them significantly. More so than anything else you could stab them with us. But it does not kill them. Mm-hmm. You definitely still need to dismember them. Now, Scott will stab uh, Shelley kind of accidentally. Not accidentally, but sort of in a struggle uh, with the dagger. Pus blows out everywhere. And she bites off her own hand. It's fucking weird, but I love it in the sense that she's just fucking with you. It's almost like that scene in Nightmare on Elm Street where Freddy takes off his own or gets his face torn off or he's like, hey, look at this. And he's just like chopping his finger off and he's like looking at his hand and looking at you like, eh? And blood spurting. Yeah, yeah. And he's like pretty gross, right? I think it is just this demonstration that the rules of flesh do not apply to me anymore. This is all that you're doing. And... I don't care about this body that I'm possessing, but you do. Look at this. <laughs> just bite her fucking head off. I love that fucking moment so much because it's just so fucked up and weird. And then she gets chopped up and there's wriggling body like a fucking like maggot squirming on the ground. It's just mm-hmm. these limbs just wiggling and shit. And you still see her like cute socks and stuff like that still attached to her feet and shit. Yeah, little knit winter socks are very cute. Yeah, yeah. Um, Good for cottaging if it gets cold at night. I, I suppose they are, or reading according to chapters who barely sell books anymore but have a whole reading sock section. <laughs> it's just fucking disturbing to me. But anyway, um, this is one of the, the scenes where you really notice the Foley work too and some of the sounds that go on. Like when she's chewing her own arm off, it sounds disgusting. They nail yeah. that. When the body is wriggling on the floor and then you start to pay attention to a lot of that use. And like from the beginning of the film, it's got really good sound design, uh, really fun sound design. But this is where the beginning of the, the sounds that the Deadites make specifically are mm-hmm. so alien and so well chosen. Gushy. Really here. Yeah, very gushy. Yeah. Or loud and insane. Mm-hmm. They've nailed insane. If that has a sound, it sounds like a Deadite. There's this uh, relentless quality to the deadites that they seem to be attempting to they could attempt to kill you instantaneously but it seems to be again more of that schadenfreude more of this we will break you and there's something about ash in particular that they want to break and i I like that description you used of 
of like trying to find that wiener and knowing that he's weak and scared. This and it's more so, fun. Like you said, they straight up attack Scott. Yeah. Scott straight up kills one of them. That's no mm-hmm. fun. Who wants to play with him? Not I. Not I, yeah. but everyone else where we can play on his sympathies because he cares about these people that we possess. Scott literally says he doesn't care. He does. And also, I love the line where Ash says, Shelly was our friend. Yeah. And Scott doesn't come back with what the line we could conceivably imagine would be, Shelly was my girlfriend. Yeah. You know, sort of like, one-upping. Like, like how who do you cares th- about who? Like, how do you think I feel? You think this is easy for me? Exactly. The derivative horror movie scripting here. Instead, this line Scott has is, Shelly's dead. Yeah. Like, she didn't even matter. She didn't even enter that Shelly's his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're just assuming that because they were undressing together and stuff. But... It's quite obvious. But he also just killed her. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he's in shock. I don't think that he's just doing what he needs to do to save his own life. I think he's got a certain amount of pleasure in that. I think he's a fucking psycho asshole. And he says, we need to bury her. We That's need what to we bury need to do. her. And so they do give her a little cross and everything like that. Getting buried with a cross also becomes a trope. It's amazing the things that become so evil dead. Whether where yeah, you dismember bodies, you bury them, and you put a little cross on top. <laughs> That'll help. Now kids also put crosses on animals' graves. Did you ever ask an animal what religion it was? No, no, no. Uh, I never did actually. Um, it could be a secular cross. Yeah. Okay. Just it's more of a grave marker. It's weird though because if you're burying a body in the woods, I'd feel like the last thing you'd want to do is uh, put a cross, because that would kind of just, like, it's like X marks a spot, you know what I'm saying? Or Karen, at least if somebody was after the dead flesh or whatever, um, they would have to unpile all of those rocks, or at least keeps animals out from digging it up. Mm-hmm. A little cross does none of that. That's true. Mm-hmm. Now, Scott's out of here, man. You know, Linda's uh, fucking ankle is fucked up. We, we, we forgot to mention that. Uh, oh, the pencil scene. Everyone's favorite scene. It gives me heebie-jeebies. It's still effective to this day. That's one scene that's still fucking... Like, I don't care how glossy the Blu-ray gets. It's still very effective. Because it is it is that Achilles tendon area. Mm-hmm. When Gage attacks, I, th- I believe his dad or his mom, I think it's his dad in Pet Cemetery. Oh, uh, yeah. And gets the Achilles tendon. I yeah. hate Achilles tendon Oh, yeah, horror. it's fucking gross. It, like the way people hate teeth terror. Yeah, like I get I get uh, twitchy around mouth stuff. Uh, Achilles tendon stuff too. Anytime I hear like a story about like, and he tore his Achilles tendon, I'm like, oh. But tore his Achilles tendon, um, other than having a deadite jab at it and dig into it with a pencil. Twist and shit. Yeah. Really, really get in there. Done pretty good. Oh yeah, and it goes on and on. But anyway, she can't, Linda is bedridden. She couldn't possibly make the trail. The trail is their only way out of the woods. Yeah. The only way around the bridge that's out. So Scott's like, screw you guys. I'm out of here. He's like, I don't care about her. Linda's your girlfriend. You take care of her. And he fucking dips. Orders his exit with extra dipping sauce. Whatever that means. He leaves. And I applaud him for it. Although he returns not long after, shaken and bloodied. 
Do you think he got tree raped? I do think he got tree raped. I think that the trees are equal opportunity rapists. I do too. And I definitely think that he got tree raped. You know, if if he like turned around, we might see. Oh, his pants got ripped maybe a little bit. Maybe I don't know. Like Cheryl's panties made it fine through that tree rape. That is actually a very interesting point. But I think it's like, it's like, but listen, we can't, this ain't no peep show. Although trees are miraculous things. Um, there's a story of this man who was driving an ATV down a woodland trail and went over an anthill. And, you know, you sort of like bump down from the anthill and you kind of lose your uh, cognition for a second because it's like jarring, sort of like being on a roller coaster in a way. And he didn't see what was coming at him. And he's also at a high speed apparently at this time. And a tree had fallen. So the giant top of a huge pine was pointing straight at him and he didn't realize uh, couldn't break in time or anything, and it punctured him through the chest. Hmm. When they got him, because his friends had to cut this tree, take him and the tree into emergency services, which is apparently three hours away. It was a horrifying ordeal. Um, but when he got into the emergency services, they were able to remove the tree, and the wound wasn't infected. And this is a hole the size of a softball through a man's chest. There was no debris. No real tearing because the tree had punctured him with his clothes intact. So he had a bug shirt and a t-shirt. And it was if such tough enough material, I suppose, and just stretched enough that it went through his body with the tree, protecting his innards from the branches, debris, bugs, bark, dirt, all the things. You know, very interesting. So maybe this tree can rape you through your clothes. Well, I believe it now. I do, too. Now, whatever it did to old uh, Scott... Actually, we know what he did. It's like there's a fucking broken off branch in his damn torso. And Ash has got himself a lot of problems. Cheryl is possessed. She's still locked in the fucking basement. Linda, her wound in her ankle has become infected with deadite. And now she is also a deadite, and she has become a cackling loon. That's wonderful. She basically sits on the floor for a while, cackling at him and sing-songing yeah. and being adorable and cute. If it wasn't for her crazy, weird, lipstick, bloody face and horribly cataract eyeballs, she would be a treat. Wow. She might be a treat. The, the, the laughter... Sometimes when I'm watching the film, it's a bit much. Today I was fine, but there's definitely times where I feel like Ash. And shut I just, up! Shut up! Shut up! And I just want to fucking smack her because I just wanted to shut the hell up. He does snap to the point where he does begin smacking Linda around. He really does, and it's going to get worse than that because eventually, when even with Scott telling killer killer ash and he's pointing his shotgun at her uh he can't do it he can't bring himself it's to just do like it. him with the axe he just can't do it he's poor outside he's being pushed to a point that has to be believability you know we're not gonna see him snap the way scott does and where i just write him off as a psychopath mm-hmm. or some people might chalk it up to bad writing i don't but that someone can't be pushed to that limit and then turn it off and on again like a tap where we're seeing this progression. These are people he genuinely cares about. And we're shown that he genuinely cares about. And they genuinely care about Ash. But he has to be pushed to a point where it's believable that he's going to do what he's going to do. He does eventually, through accident and struggle, impale Linda. 
and with this, the sword too, which is yeah, or the dagger. The dagger, and so she spurts out her blood, and um, well, you know, he knows what he has to do now. He has to dismember her. He even hesitates here at the scene where you had said a legend is born. Mm-hmm. Very famously. And this has become a, a huge uh, trope. And the legend is born is the chainsaw. This is the first time that we see a chainsaw in an Evil Dead movie. Although it's unused. It is unused. This is the most fascinating fucking aspect of this. It is, an a- it is the aspect that by the second movie, this chainsaw will not just be used. It will become... Ash's fucking hand. He will have a hand that is a chainsaw. That was Ash and the chainsaw. Horror fans can barely separate the two. And exactly. it's because it's attached to his hand. It is, yeah. it is, it is, it is the Excalibur of horror. It is the Excalibur of horror. And it's, well, the boomstick also to a certain extent, because that is what he verbally talks about more often. He rarely mm-hmm. ever talks about his chainsaw hand, but it is such a, an arc we go through with him, and we get to see the montage of attaching the chainsaw, which is almost a hip-hop motion yeah. in, in the second film. So we become very attached to it because it's probably the coolest fucking thing as far as a weapon montage that we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but here we are seeing Ash for the first time with a chainsaw, and it's just as atmospheric as the next time we get to see him with a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. I love the shots of him slowly bringing the chain, which would probably be for game, you know, like uh, keep game down on a table while you yeah, cut it up. Fill it with vegetable oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love that chains, keeping her chain down, and he can't do it. He takes her, takes the chains off, chainsaw goes away, and he just buries her. Buries her right next to Shelly. Another, another cross. I guess all is well that ends well. The burying of people becomes more hilarious in the second one. And I miss it for that. That's why I want to watch it all over again. But <laughs> yep, yep, she's buried. She's done. And we're out of here. It's it's fine. Credits, I guess. The sun will come up. We'll take the trail. Thumbs up. Yeah. Well, except for the fact that she is going to come out of the dirt because she has not been buried nearly deep enough and she is nowhere near dead. Now, while this struggle is happening, uh, Cheryl is going to be busting out of her fucking basement door and at this point scott's already died he's died from his wounds yeah pretty sad i didn't care i was glad he fucking died i was kind of sad he died i was kind of sad for ash's sake because ash seemed to be just hanging on to that feeding him water and being like we're gonna get out of this buddy it's gonna be okay it, it then, almost becomes a war movie yeah. he's like what are you gonna do when you get home man it's like you're gonna see your best girl ain't you yeah 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 we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get uh, sodas down at pop's diner like fuck yeah <laughs> didn't realize scott's been dead for a half hour yeah, yeah. Well, you're just like very like crappily, basically just filling a corpse full of water. Kind of ghoulish, Ash. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. It's like fucking treating him like he's a fucking balloon animal. So but, now it's not just one person that he has to deal with at a time. No, it's true. And he manages to decapitate Linda. Now that seems to do the trick. Full, bo- full body dismemberment doesn't seem to be entirely necessary. Decapitation. So now, are they zombies? See, it's so fucking hard to say. 
They look like zombies. They look like zombies. They sound like zombies. They sound like zombies. Probably smell like zombies. They definitely smell like zombies. They die like zombies. They do. However, I think that them... First of all, they have consciousness. Yeah. So they're different from zombies in that sense. And they seem to have... Like, not only just retained their motor functions, but have heightened motor functions. They're supernatural, clairvoyant. Yeah. So there's a lot of, like, demonic aspects of this, but the body seemed to occupy the same logic as a zombie. At least if the head's cut off, then it's gone. But the head usually has enough in it to still keep talking. Yeah, and then throw out some one-liners. Yeah, yeah, this is where Ash gets, like, an, a pretty good, like, fucking bukkake full of blood right in the fucking face as the headless corpse of his girlfriend struggles over him. Which is finally, finally, here's where Ash starts to look like the Ash you would have recognized mm-hmm. from watching this franchise in reverse. Mm-hmm. He finally is that darker-skinned, sweaty, concerned looking as a furrowed brow now because he's just doesn't know what's coming out of next and he's scared but angry more angry than scared now mm-hmm. luckily because up until here he was more emotional and scared finally he's angry he's fed up and he's got blood all over him and a few war wounds yeah yeah i mean linda scratches up his leg something fucking fierce and this is uh where he's got to go back to the house and he's got to figure out where everything is he's got to go get his gun there's a gun downstairs and there's oh there's shells downstairs the gun's upstairs but he's got to go down back to the basement so we're back into the fucking basement now mm-hmm. and this is where the, i always fucking forget the scenes in this movie but the house got to bleed no i i've always liked this scene because it seems to me it's the marker of the third act and i'm never really a big believer in this like a not a big believer in that sounds silly but this first second and third act thing and having markers to separate them is just amateurish to me but this is done so very subtly where everything's fine and first act and everyone's friends and the the house is actually quite accommodating and the woods themselves are fairly accommodating because they get there alive and in the second one the woods turn against them Mm -hmm. and if there was a fourth section or a third section to this they turn against one another and now in this little bit the house itself is turning against ash entirely mm-hmm. with it bleeding out of its sockets mm-hmm. and, and stuff which Light. lies me wondering where the power came from yeah oh my god that's like one of those things where i'm like there's like someone not only there's power going to this place there's no uh power lines anywhere you could argue generator but they never turned on a generator when they got there so what the generators is always running and then also it's got water it's a hot water tank too so you can't you can't have like a proper generator hooked up to a, a regular hot water tank, and it looks like it has forced air ducts for heating central air, which is crazy because this little tiny cabin is a little tiny cabin. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But the light bulb filling up with blood, the projector turns itself on. A record with some old ragtime music turns itself on, like a phonograph, I mm-hmm. suppose, turns itself on. So the house is kind of going cuckoo. One of my favorite sequences in in this as Ash is slowly, you can see it's finally got to him in this pivotal moment in which he looks to the mirror and he reaches out to it and his hand plunges into the mirror uh, like water. And then he pulls his hand out, staring at his hand. He lets out a scream and it's that Bruce Campbell scream that I fucking love so much. 
And at that point, that is where he is just like shooting at shadows at this point. He has lost it. He is he is gun happy. He is ready to fucking rock and roll. Pretty much everyone he knows is dead. Everyone that he knows is dead. But here's the thing. It is not like in the in the third act of Evil Dead 2, the creation of Ash Williams, the the this hero of legend that in the Necronomicon will be prophesized. Uh, that moment where he uses his chainsaw hand to fucking cut off his possessed his, hand. His possessed hand. Yeah. I love his possessed hand. His possessed hand is very good, but I mean that moment after when he's when they gotta go downstairs and carve themselves a witch. Ah, uh, okay. And he he uh, he he saws his boomstick, hits the end of it off. It is now the sawed-off shotgun. He puts it in his back, and and it's just like that fucking moment of groovy. And you're just like, oh my god, Ash has been born in this moment. This is he like Ash is some is is still in his like larval state. Like pre-Ash. Pre-Ash, because he's still shaking. There's one moment that I that a very subtle uh, thing that Bruce Campbell does uh when he's back up against the door and he's fired at the door sort of meaninglessly. Uh and the gun requires you to pop it and put in another shell manually. And it's like he's got the shells in his top pocket. The way that he remembers to do that and then shakily, like he is shaking as he's doing it, is so authentic. I felt totally by him. It is so very authentic. And this is where we know he is, like you said, a larval stage of Ash. He's right before that. I'm going to fucking kill the next thing that walks through that door. Yeah. Because I know it's going to be not human. And scared because what if the next thing that walks through that door is someone I know and love? Mm-hmm. You know, it's absolutely traumatized and absolutely terrified. Mm-hmm. And it is that sort of in between the trembling wiener, because he's still trembling, mm-hmm. and the ash that we all know, the groovy. You know. Yeah, yeah. Hail to the king, baby. Hail to the king, one-liners, all that fucking yeah. stuff. Now, um... He's still got a fucking fight ahead of him. Now he's fighting two deadites with his gun. And this is where also the other aspect of Ash really comes into play. And it's like the damage that this guy can take. And the amount of blood that he can have poured right down. He gets waterboarded by blood. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And it's hilarious. Inadvertently hilarious. Inadvertently hilarious because there comes a point where there's just so much fucking blood. And by the way, this is coming on the heels when the possessed Scott is going to shoot blood out of his body like a fucking faucet that's been hammered off because he's going to pull that stick out of his torso. <laughs> and it just gushes blood like a, like a tap, like you said. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's absolutely fucking amazing. Meanwhile, Cheryl is grabbing a poker, not doing the logical thing. This is where I really feel like the Deadites just want to hurt him and they're going to kill him, but not before they make it hurt. Yeah. It's because she's got a poker and she's just going to club him with it. Just club him over and over again. Not one fucking spike to yeah, the back of the head. Yeah, not stab him. Not, yeah, that would, be, that would be a death blow. Not hit him over the head. Not stick him through the heart. Things that they're... They probably don't kill people. Yeah. No, he's just going to batter him. Just going to batter him and batter him and batter him. Now, he does notice that during the struggle, uh, 
the the Necronomicon almost lands in the fire. Mm-hmm. This seems to have a very, shall we say, adverse effect on our friends. Yep. They writhe, they smoke, they don't like it. Yeah. Well, good thing he's still got that gorgeous pendant in his pocket. Or at least now it's on the floor. Yeah, it was in his pocket because he kept pulling it out and being all, like, sentimental with it. But now it's on the floor where the chain is in the shape of a skull, which I just always love. And it's sort of reminiscent of the cover of the Necronomicon. So Mm. if you need any little foreshadowing, I don't know. But he uses that to use as like a reaching stick almost Mm -hmm. to reach the Necronomicon so that he can get it closer to him because he's being attacked at this time. He's a little bit um, distracted Mm -hmm. by getting beat on by a deadite, pinned down and beat on by a deadite. So he flings this into the fire and it does what he's been trying to do for the last half hour is kill these motherfucking things. And it is, you're being a fan of Ray Harryhausen, well, it definitely come into play here. This was the first, so the interesting thing about this stop motion sequence, I love it. I love it to death. It was the first thing that I saw from, it's included in the trailer, not this exact entire scene, but a bit of the Necronomicon. And I remember first seeing the the image of the Necronomicon with its tongue whipping around and it looks so different. And this scene goes on for a minute. It's so very colorful. Uh, Having watched it on VHS and a crummy TV that probably had the brightness turned down because my dad worked nice, you know, Um, it's so much more colorful. Oh, yeah. All kinds of colors. And while these two possessed humans dissolve and you think they're done dissolving and then they keep dissolving. (laughs) And And then that dissolves. And then that starts to dissolve. It's like, holy shit, when is this going to... They're down to the bone. Not done yet? No. And not only that, they're going to erupt into (laughs) demonic hands. Which I likened to a demon clown car. I wonder how many of those things I fit inside myself. Yeah, or uh, if you've ever seen, um, we've done uh, Demons, and that has a sequence in which an entire demon comes out of the back of a person that's possessed. Mm-hmm. Whatever is truly inside of them, this these deadites, what they truly are, we glimpse. And there's a few of them in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It looks very violent and very big and unnatural and weird, these Kendarian demons, as they're officially referred to as. Um and then that's it, I guess. And Ash, uh, he's made it to morning. It is now dawn and he walks out and then, oh shit. The evils can never truly be destroyed, Lydia. It can only slumber. Slumber for four seconds. It doesn't even give him that much time to get down the walk. He gets down the steps, pretty much. And then we get treated to a wonderful battering ram through the house scene which is uh, Raimi's staple and used to amazing effect in the second one to show us how big that fucking cabin really is. Yeah. Because it has like 20 doors. 20 doors. And I think there's a sequence where I was like, are they in between the walls right now? Like what's happening? But this is the precursor to that. So we get to see the evil come around from the woods through the back of the cabin, through the rooms we've become familiar with and past the carnage on the floor out the front door and into the face of a screaming ass. And credits. And he's not even kidding this time. That's literally the credits. And like you were saying that Bruce Campbell insists that Ash Williams dies here. 
Uh, I can believe that. In fact, when you think about it, you're like, he could have been dead a while ago, and this was all some sort of hellscape dream sequence as <laughs> dying breath, you know? Wild. Um, but yeah, I can't see what they've put him through at this point. I'd like to assume that he becomes possessed with the dead eye, because that's what they prefer to do over killing somebody outright. Um, and then he goes and toddles off to the bridge, I guess. You never know. I mean, by the time you get to Evil Dead 2, we do see this sequence uh, in its entirety. Mm-hmm. What theoretically would happen and how he uh, brings himself back from the brink of total damnation, which is why I always assume that Ash would constantly not get possessed up until this point, after this point, because they would have tried it once and they're like, well, we can't possess him now. Later, they attach a whole bunch of lore to why that is, but. For now, this is the end of the Ash character. And as far as all of them were concerned, this was their little horror movie that they were going to do. And it would turn into so much more for horror fans. People fucking, like, tattoo this shit on their body. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this matters to people. This means something. This It means something that you and I did an episode about it. Like, like that's... To me... The greatest gift that Evil Dead gives people is a fucking movie that makes them all so damn happy. And that's what I love the most about it now is how happy this makes everybody. Up to and including, you know, I didn't really know this Jason Carey kid all that well before Evil Dead. And we fucking bonded over it. We made a website together. I've talked about this before. Um, It ended up on the Macabre episode. It ended up on the cutting room floor because that was back when I was like, no one wants to hear anecdotes about us, Lydia. They just want to hear about the movie. 20-minute episodes. Um, and now when I say I got a story, Wes just gets all happy and leans in and wide-eyed. and like, yes. Yeah, I love it. I love I love learning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he he knew how to make websites back in like the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, one of those like, geocities.com's shit and he made this evil dead website it was very primitive exactly what you'd think black background red text just very pixelated pictures of evil dead that he had inserted it sounds exactly like my movie review website in 1990 Five uh, <laughs> on GeoCities in Athens Acropolis. I think it was Athens Acropolis five six six nine or something. Oh. That was my website address at GeoCities. It was probably right next door to this uh, other horror corner. This other horror corner that was occupied by me, and I did one thing he wanted to do because let me tell you something about this gang. For the longest time, nowadays, Evil Dead. You got games, you got comics, you have a remake, you have a three seasons of a TV show, hours and hours of Evil Dead content. But back in the day, you had the three movies, and that was it. And if you wanted any more Evil Dead, well, you had to write your own. And we did an Evil Dead chain story. That was what the website really did. And me not knowing anything about you know, I just kind of assumed, oh, you just make a website and people will go there, I guess. I don't know. And so the idea was it wasn't just supposed to be him and I making an Evil Dead story. A lot of people were supposed to get involved and do this. And so I wrote a 
the beginning of what the chain story was supposed to be. And it was to like encourage people to get involved. And um, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a chain story and we're going to add stuff. It's like, don't forget to include stuff that made these, this franchise great. Uh, get cracking, you little deadites. Like I said, stuff like that. I was, like, I was a teenager. I'm making a face. I know no one can see it, but that's all I got. I know. Like it was corny and whatever. Fucking Jason comes in the next day at fucking school and he just rakes me across the coals. He was just like, you sounded like a fag. I was like, a fag? What? Like, I don't, I was like. I uh, can't disagree. I, <laughs> listen, I, it was, I was not yet a writer. I didn't know what to write. And so I was kind of doing it in the same vein that I had read like magazine contest entries. And it's the same vein that carried you into broadcast journalism. Exactly. And not even broadcast journalism, broadcast. Radio Broad, broadcast. broadcast. It was just what I was familiar with. And that's the only way I knew how to think. And yeah, he made fun of me for it. And I got so butthurt that he made fun of me for contributing to the website that we made together that I only ever wrote one part of that uh, story and I never did anything else. And I like, and then the website just became uh, a dead, like he, he updated it one more time and then I said, like, there's too many splash pages. Like, you have to click, like, two different times before you get to the, the main website. And he got mad that I criticized that. And so he made, like, ten splash pages that were being a dick. Like, almost there. One more. Oh, just kidding. Who's a fag now? Really? Okay. That's sad. It's also double sad that this person... Like, has to understand that so many people do respond to that sort of like, hey, gang, let's all do this thing. Let's join in and be friends and hey, pal, fam, bullshit. I don't folks, even know how to talk like that. Folksy, folks, folks, yeah, folks. Folksy, folks, folks, folks. People fucking respond to it. And I cringe about that. I wouldn't let that sort of speech in my own website, but that's why I'm a control freak about my website. Mm. Um, but when you're collaborating, you have to. Like, that kind of shit in because people respond to it and that's just the type of horror fan that i am i'm come along guys there's plenty of room in the back like that's 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 how i i am with everything i just want to share and i just want to talk about stuff that makes me happy and evil dead made me happy it was it was so again horror to me was a very uh isolated experience an insular experience so isolated that i could watch the third movie in a franchise at the time for years and not know that there was two other movies before it's also the age before the internet where if you would have just typed it in you would be like holy shit there's other movies i'm gonna go and download those yeah Yeah. i thought he was lying Mm -hmm. like i i I was like no it's not like i had to go look this up oh sometimes referred to as evil dead 3 what evil dead so that so I, I mean watching this movie like really makes me happy in a lot of different ways and really I, the only reason why I tell you the website story is just to let you know that I've always just been a fucking geeky fan of this shit and this movie in particular and this world and I don't know I think like it it, it was the it was the first time you could seem like or feel really cool liking something so nerdy I suppose yeah I don't know I didn't know it was nerdy. And I didn't feel cool. It took me um, maybe 35 years of my life to feel even remotely cool. And I'm only halfway there yet. But 
Yeah, among my friends, it was a very insular experience. And when I say friends, it's a very small group of us in the countryside. Mm-hmm. Tighten it. Very, well, I'd say so, but we only saw each other once in a while, too. So I wouldn't yeah. say that we hung out uh, on a daily or even weekly, sometimes monthly basis because of proximity problems, mm-hmm. right? So we were, insular is the correct word. But yeah, that's that. Coming up next, we're going to go into the Evil Dead, Wes. We're going to do the Evil Dead. We've never done this before. We've never done uh, original versus... It's not even a versus, but it's... Yeah, it's, we're it's not going to It's, it's original and then the remake. Because I think it'll give us a good platform to A, talk about more Evil Dead. Yep. And B, talk about how franchises can change... How what a glossy remake can do, and this remake has the distinct honor of having the same people involved: Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell. They're all there. I mean, and and Bruce was far more involved in making this movie than I even realized until I read his book. So not only does it have the blessings, it just shows what this cabin in the woods trope. To not even try and be funny. It is a, a cabin in the woods trope, thanks to the movie Cabin in the Woods, that's become a trope. Um, but it, how to do this in a fully different flavor. Have mm-hmm. it be the same story, essentially the same story. It takes a hard left at one point, but it is essentially the same. And a fully different tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fully different tone. It's going to be a pretty, pretty cool experience, I think. It sure will. Like every episode of Dead Air is a pretty cool experience, Wes. That's why I like your stories, because I get to know you a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, over 130 episodes, I know you way better now than I did by the first one. You now know I have memories to a very early age, and the first nightmare I had involved the toilet. (laughs) I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.